Welcome to The Whole Steward, the holistic approach to wealth from a Christian worldview. I'm your host, Andrew Stanton, and I'm glad you've joined. Today, we explore strategies for taking control of your wealth in a runaway credit-based economy. There are certain things you cannot outsource, and the stewardship God has given you is one of them. Active stewardship is hard work, but well worth it and pleasing to God. Let's jump in today on The Whole Steward. This is episode number 16, and I am so thankful you're listening. I want to start out with a charge to the rich. Now remember, if you are listening to this, you would fall into the category of being rich in this present age. And so if you listen to the wording carefully, this is talking to you. It's talking to me. The passage comes from 1 Timothy 6, starting in verse 17. Paul writes, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. You see, God is concerned with the rich and their attitude towards the riches they have. You have, I have, running water, clean running water, we have electricity, we have transportation, we travel on smooth roads, we have air conditioning, we have food as much as we could possibly want and eat, we have so many things at our fingertips that make us truly wealthy in this world. And living day to day with those luxuries we may be tempted to put our hope in those things. What if the power grid were to go down? What if the gas lines were to be blown up? What if the luxuries that you know, like food, were taken or were to break down? Are you trusting in those things for your satisfaction day to day? Or would you be able to say, the Lord gave, the Lord taketh away, blessed be the name of the Lord. We need to trust Him and set our hope on Him. We need to be generous and ready to share, which is what He wants us to do, and that stores up treasure as a good foundation for the future. This is spiritual treasure. This is the treasure that Jesus talked about storing up treasure in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, if you lay up that foundation for the future, you may be able to take hold of that which is truly life. You do that through faith in the Lord's Son, Jesus Christ. But we still have the things on this earth that we use and are vital for our life on this earth. 
This is the way God made it. He made the world. He made everything in the world. And he made mankind to be in the world and to live a physical life and to praise him throughout all his days. So the management or the stewardship of those things is very important. And so our theme for today is taking responsibility for your own stewardship. Why is this important? Well, it's important to know your finances as a steward because you are a manager of things that do not actually belong to you. They belong to the Lord. And so what will you say when the owner comes and asks for an account? What will you say or what would you say to God if he were to ask you for an account of your management? Now, this comes down to knowing your finances. It comes down to knowing all the areas of stewardship in your life. So if you think about the whole steward is focused on not only the spiritual capital, which we're talking a little bit about, but your physical capital, your bodies, your intellectual capital, your experiences, your relationships, and your culture. It also includes your material and your finances, and of course, the time that you spend investing and managing those things. You do it on a daily basis, every day, day in and day out. You are managing and stewarding those things. So to be a good steward, you need to know what and where those things are. Now, what do I mean by know your finances? Well, if you were to be asked, what percentage of your income do you spend on housing? Could you answer that question? Think about it for a moment. Can you answer that question? What percentage of your income do you spend on housing? How about this? What percentage of your income do you spend on groceries and living expenses? What percentage of your income do you spend on transportation? Like the cost of purchasing and operating your vehicle, both maintenance and fuel. How about this? What percentage of your income do you spend in taxes? Can you answer that question? Do you understand the tax code and how much is being spent in taxes? What percentage of your income do you spend on Healthcare. What percentage of your income do you give away? You see, if you were to analyze these things and know the answers to those questions, you may find yourself thinking, oh wow, I should actually be spending more in this other area and less in another area. One question I didn't ask was, what percentage of your income do you put towards savings? every month. You see, you may find that you are spending a larger portion of your income than you might otherwise think as being a good thing toward something where you need to make an adjustment. But how can you know what adjustments to make if you don't know the answer to those questions? I'll give you an example, and this is a personal example. 
When we owned our two and a half acre property in Valley Center, which is a country area near the city that I live in now, it was very beautiful, a lot of farmland around. It was two and a half acres, but it was expensive to live there. And I didn't realize that. I didn't understand what percentage of my income was going toward housing. Now, I could have told you what my mortgage payment was, but that's not the full picture when you look at owning a property. It was our favorite place to live ever. But I'm going to tell you something right now. Our When I actually analyzed it and sat down and figured this out, I determined that almost 50% of our income, our gross income, was going toward that property. Now the question is, hey Andrew, can you afford to live there? My answer would be no. I should not be spending 50% of my income on housing. That is far above the average, which is somewhere around 30% uh, in America today, that households will spend of their income on their housing. However, we were spending much more than that. And so now I had a measurement by which to make a decision. And that decision was to move to a place where we were spending just over 20% of our income on housing. And we still live very comfortably. I have a lot of my time back. You see, I was accounting for the time that I spent caring for the property. It was a very large property, and I would do a lot of the work myself. That is one of the pitfalls that property owners do not account for. I started accounting for my time. When we moved, I got a lot of that time back. In strictly financial terms, we were spending almost 30% less of our gross income on housing when we made the move. So you see, knowing these things, knowing the percentages, can be a useful thing. Now, I'm not saying that if you know you make, say, $3 million a month in gross income, and you live a modest life, maybe a hundred or two hundred thousand dollars in expenses every uh, month or every year, actually. I'm sorry, but you're making three million dollars a month. Well, maybe you don't need to pay so much attention to it, but I would still charge you to be a good steward and know where your money is going. For the rest of us who live somewhat normal lives. We should know and be ready to give an account for our stewardship. And one of the best ways to do this is through a financial statement. It's very easy to do if you take the time. If you want to learn how to do it, go back and listen to episode number six. It shows you how to analyze your income versus your expenses. And then you have your assets versus your liabilities. And that is a simple financial statement. It's like a scorecard. It's where you're at. And it was very powerful when my wife and I did this together to see what we're spending our money on and to give an account. We need to give an account to each other as well. 
it is very interesting to see it in work in our family because we now have this financial statement which sets the expectation and we mutually agree on the expectations and then we can strategize throughout the month or year on whether we're meeting or exceeding the expectations and neither one of us nor my wife nor I will go and exceed the expectations or operate outside of this framework without being on the same page and and communicating about that. See, now, for example, Joseph, when he was the head of Potiphar's house, Potiphar could have walked in at any moment and said, Joseph, hey, I want to know how much are we spending on food every month? Hey, Joseph, how much are we spending on the chariots? Or how much are we spending on fill-in-the-blank? You see, Joseph would have been able to give an account because he was a manager. He was a steward of that. He wasn't just in charge of writing the checks. He was also in charge of giving a report. The same thing when he was over all of Egypt. Pharaoh gave him that authority, but he certainly could have given an account. And the precision of the operation was staggering. They knew the answers to those questions. Now, last week on The Whole Steward, we talked to Gary Pinkerton. If you didn't catch that episode, I highly encourage you to go back and listen. What an amazing and awesome time that was with Gary. We talked a bit about borrowing money, and he talked about borrowing money somewhat extensively. So what I want to do next is dive in a little bit on what I would call the smart use of debt. You might be thinking, oh, there's no smart use for debt, not at all, not ever, and you only want to pay cash for everything. If that's you, I want to challenge you that you live in a society that is based on credit. So we'll dive into some of the reasons why I'm not afraid of credit, and I would rather learn how to use it properly rather than be afraid of it because it's all around me. I can't get away from it. We are not here doing financial triage. This is about optimization. Next on The Whole Steward. Hey there, it's Andrew. I pour a lot into The Whole Steward and I'm so humbled you're listening. Did you know I regularly post new articles to our website? I also send the Holistic Approach to Wealth newsletter once a week, to which you can subscribe at thewholesteward.com slash newsletter. If you're enjoying what you're hearing on the show, would you share it with a friend or leave us a review? I'd really appreciate it. Oh, and thanks for listening. So last week we discussed a strategy where you could borrow against a whole life insurance policy. The whole life insurance policies we discussed last week are just one financial tool. It's not the only way. Uh, Certainly, a lot of people have an aversion to it, but it is a tool that we use in our family, and it is actually quite powerful because it has a lot of features that 
Even the ultra-wealthy know about and they will employ this tool. Uh, For example, I looked up one time that I saw Joe Biden has a bunch of these life insurance policies. Now, over time you put the first bits of cash deposited into the policy. And now this policy has a cash value. The cash value is earning interest at a certain rate, say about 5% per year. Now, if you take the interest dividends and you redeposit them into the policy, which is totally allowed to do, those dividends grow exponentially. It's compounding over time. If you were to take $30,000 and leave it deposited in your policy, it would grow at a rate of 5% per year. But now you can pledge that $30,000 while it is still deposited and growing. You can borrow against it. You can pledge it as collateral. So you can borrow $30,000 and pay the loan back on an amortized schedule. So you have $30,000 growing exponentially and you have $30,000 being paid down in principal payments over time. So as was explained last week, you collect way more in dividends over time than you do in paying interest. So why would you want to pay cash? Why would I want to withdraw that $30,000 and spend it on whatever it is that I was paying for when I could have borrowed with that $30,000 as collateral. Certainly, the $30,000 is mine to keep. If I needed to, I could forfeit the policy and take the cash and pay off whatever it is that I was purchasing. But this is a much more optimized solution. With the value of the dollar plummeting, borrowing is simply like shorting the dollar. Think about this. The dollars that you borrow are losing value. The dollars that you have deposited are losing value. So if you are borrowing in a high interest rate environment, you are in a sense shorting the dollar. You're saying, hey, I expect the value of the dollar to go down over time. So it would be better to borrow that money today, spend it, and then pay it back later. As opposed to saying, hey, the dollar value is going down. I should save that money today and spend it later. You see the difference? Realize that we're in a credit-based society and that the target of those in charge is to create inflation. They want it. It's their stated mandate. It's crazy, but it's true. Now, if we were to have deflation, if we were to have a recession and the value of the dollar actually goes up compared to other items like cars or houses, in other words, the prices of those things go down, that wouldn't necessarily be a bad thing because, well, hey, your dollars are going further now. But in general, that's not going to be the case. The dollar's not going to gain value over the long run against these different assets. So why would you want to save dollars over the long run to try to buy that asset when the dollars are going to be losing value, whereas the asset 
won't be. Especially if you're buying something like real estate, but even cars. We saw inflation in the price of cars lately. We may see some deflation. We may see prices come down a little. It's not going to be a lot. Unless there's a really, really big crash. But that's because everybody would then be hoarding dollars. All the dollars are still out there in circulation. They just wouldn't be spending them. Because when prices are falling, you want to hold on to your dollars because tomorrow you might get a better price than today. But if prices are going up, you want to spend them today because tomorrow the price might be higher than it is today. You see the difference? Now, for those of you who are in debt and you're saying, well, I'm not terribly in debt, but I I would rather be debt-free. Let me ask you this. Would you rather be financially free or debt-free? If you want to be debt-free, listen up. I have a very easy solution for you. Uh, Again, we're talking to those who are in the optimizing category. If you are doing financial triage and your finances are a complete train wreck, this doesn't really apply to you. Uh, For example, if you have a negative net worth. But for those who have a positive net worth and you have some assets and then you have some liabilities, the liabilities are less than the assets, and you say, hey, I just want to be debt-free someday. Well, I'll give you an easy solution. You can be debt-free today. Sell the assets, pay off the debts. Done. You're no longer in debt. You're debt-free. Now, you might not have a house anymore. You might not have a car anymore. You might not have the things you need to to live on, uh, but you would be debt-free. So we are not after being debt-free. We are after being financially free. And if you can understand that we are in a credit-based society and strategically choose to use the tool of credit in a way that optimizes your long-term wealth-building potential, then you will come out much further ahead than if you do not optimize it, do not understand credit, and completely reject it. Now, as we close this out, my wife and I will often talk about the insurance policies that we have, the cash value insurance policies, as our family bank. We have the authority and the right to borrow against that collateral at any time. So when we think about a big event, a big financial event, maybe a black swan in your family, we don't worry about that because we say, well, we can just borrow that from the family bank and you can set your own payment terms to pay it back. There's no set amortization schedule. You set your own. You can set your own. Now, you do have to pay the interest that the insurance company would charge, but if you never made another payment, they would just add the interest payments to the loan balance. No questions asked. You can borrow the money. That would be the worst case scenario. But you can always restructure your debt. You can restructure your payments. You can set your own amortization. It's a very powerful tool. And it can be considered a great replacement for big purchases that need to be made rather than a credit card. A lot of times people will put a black swan event in their household on a credit card. This would be a much better strategy. You are borrowing, pledging cash value as collateral. Now, the mechanics of it are pretty quick. 
I've gotten a loan within three days of sending in the application, and that's pretty quick when you think about a big chunk of money, say for $25,000, I think it was, uh, we were purchasing a property. It does not take very long to do when you're talking about getting that big sum of money, and it really can help you uh, rest easy at night. I know that we sleep much better at night financially thinking about the structure than we used to. When we were spending much larger portions of our income on some of these categories like housing or living expenses or transportation, we were much more strapped for cash. We didn't really know where it was going, and back then we were living on credit cards some of the time. We're in a very different and better place now, and and I love inspiring you to get to that better place as well. As a couple, as an individual, know where your money's going. Be a good manager who can give a report when asked. Even if it's just you asking yourself, it's much better. So to sum up, know where your money's going and why. You can do that with a financial statement. Go back and listen to episode 6 for a deep dive on that. Know that you're in a credit-based society, and if you're doing optimization, find some strategies that work for you. Maybe it's whole life insurance. Maybe it's something else. And then make the necessary changes. I pray you found this helpful today. And I want to close out with this. In chapter 3 of 1 Timothy, one of the qualifications of an overseer in the church, which would be an elder, is that he must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? You see, managing a household goes far beyond just financial management, but it certainly includes that. And that would be true for the context here. This is true of deacons as well, that they must not be greedy for dishonest gain and managing their children and their own households well. God cares about your stewardship, and you should too. And I'll meet you next week for The Whole Steward. Now that you know more, go out and grow more. All content on The Whole Steward is for informational purposes only and must not be considered personal, professional, tax, or legal advice. Please consult an appropriate professional for individualized advice. Though we do our best to bring you reliable information, we make no guarantee on its accuracy, so you must rely on your own due diligence to draw your own conclusions. The views expressed by guests on the show are their own and may not represent that of the host. Please visit our website for complete terms and conditions. for joining us today for the holistic approach to wealth from a Christian worldview. This show is brought to you by thewholesteward.com.